Welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. I am Dr. Nicole Lowe, and with me is Dr. Stephanie Edmonds. We are both PhD-prepared nurses and the founders of Woman-Centered Health. Join us as we talk with health professionals and researchers who can help you improve your communication with patients about sexual and reproductive health. Please visit our website to learn more and connect with us on social media by going to www.womancenteredhealth.com. and welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. Today we're speaking with Claire Phillips, a DMP candidate, an RN, and founder of Nursing the System. We heard about Claire and her blog from The Feminist Midwife and really wanted to chat with her about systems thinking. Claire is all about bringing systems thinking to the bedside and empowering nurses to lead changes to healthcare. So we are excited to speak with her today. Hi, Claire. Thanks so much for being a guest on our podcast today. So the first question we always ask all of our guests is if you could provide a little detail about background. Absolutely. First, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. This is my first time solo guesting on a podcast. So thank you so much. So I'm an ED nurse right now, but I came to nursing on an unconventional route. I Started my interest in healthcare with a sociology and anthropology degree from a small liberal arts school. And it was in my sociology classes about healthcare that I really fell in love with nursing. I appreciated nursing as the women's entry point into healthcare um, from a historical perspective and really connected with nursing's um, continued mission to focus on whole person care and their connection with midwifery and really lifting up women and, and helping them value their choices. So I saw nursing as an opportunity to make change within our healthcare system as I learned more and more about how it was not as efficient and successful as we'd hope it would be. So I decided to go back to school for my master's in nursing. Um, I did a master's entry program, which means you go in with no previous nursing experience. And I did that at the University of Minnesota. I graduated three years ago, and I've been an ER nurse since then. And I'm also currently getting my doctorate in health innovation and leadership. And along the way, have chronicled my journey (laughs) um, in a blog and now a business called Nursing the System. The other question we always ask our guests, and I think you've started to get into that, but what informs your perspective? Or in other words, why do you do what you do and what is most valuable to you? Well, I call myself a systems nurse, and this is a title that I have made up and given myself. And I choose it because before I'm a nurse, I am a student of society and our social systems. Nursing is my niche. And so in my study of society, my core belief is that every person deserves to live a life of dignity and opportunity. And I think that's something that our American social contract promises us if we play by the rules. And I think we're failing to provide that to our people. So where I find value and my life's mission is in moving our society towards that ideal that we've claimed for ourselves. And so the way I plan to do that is by helping nurses heal our healthcare system. Love that. I was just going to say, I love that. And I loved how you said that first year, a student of like the social system, and then that nursing is your niche. So I'm already delighted to be talking about this. (laughs) Thank you. 
Okay, so like we said, we are talking to Claire about all things systems thinking. So let's jump right in. Claire, can you start out by sharing with us and our listeners, what is systems thinking? Absolutely. I would love to clear this up. I think this is kind of a buzzword, especially like in the business world right now. And I don't think that the most people who use it actually know what it means. I'd love to get this straight. So systems thinking is a tool. It's a tool to understand our world and solve the complex social challenges in it. And systems thinkers, when they approach problems, start with an appreciation for the complexity and the connectivity of everything in our world. And you really need to start shifting from a linear perspective to a nonlinear perspective. Some people say circular. I think of it more as like a 3D puzzle. There are so many different pieces in the world. They're all connected and you need to be able to zoom in and out as necessary and appropriate for the specific context of the problem that you're trying to solve. I think that systems thinkers have a mindset of problem loving. So when you look at complex problems, rather than trying to impose human order on really complex systems, you instead choose to look at them and embrace the chaos and see what they can teach you about human behavior. And you want to work with what the system's already doing rather than try to control it. So systems thinkers are gifted. (laughs) And I say gifted, meaning they've practiced over and over again. And this is something I continue to work on. But seeing the relationship between parts and structure, they ask questions about possible futures. So they're always asking what if they're seeing beyond the present. And I think most importantly, systems thinkers recognize the role of a social construct. So any kind of social structure or concept that we have in our world is man-made. And we've made the world around us, essentially. Of course, we didn't make trees or rocks, but the way we understand trees and rocks and our relationship to them, that is all human created. So when we look at really complex systems like the American healthcare system, we can see opportunity. And if we've built this, we have the capacity to change it and rebuild it. So there's hope and opportunity in this understanding that if we've made everything, we can change everything. And I think the the final thing I'll say about systems thinking, I could talk about this forever, (laughs) but is just recognizing that systems redesign is the only way to fix system failures. So my favorite example is we don't solve climate change by telling people to drive less. That's, it's not going to work because we have to redesign the lives that we're living because the way everything is systematically organized for us, you can't just tell people not to drive and expect them to be able to live their life. So we have to create a different life that's livable without cars. And, you know, I'm not an expert in systems thinking. I am still a student myself um, and many people Many sociologists and systems thinkers, this is their life's work, is instructing people in systems thinking. But as far as I know, I am the only person championing systems thinking for clinicians, especially nurses, as a means to transform healthcare. So I'm all about giving nurses practical tools and strategies to help them bring systems thinking into their own practice. 
the nerd in me is just giddy. I am so excited <laughs> about this. You're just like spoke all my love languages and things are happening. And I hope that our listeners found that just as beautiful as I did. Oh, good. I'm so glad I, I nerd about it too. So just to get into nursing the system, which is your company, when did you start it and why did you start it? Okay. So yeah, I founded Nursing the System, which right now is a very baby business. We're talking like three weeks old. Um, But I started it as a blog during my second year as a bedside nurse in 2018. So I just laugh when you say it's a company because it's literally me on Instagram (laughs) making like very, very minor digital products to help nurses learn about systems thinking. So anyway, made me chuckle. But yeah, I started nursing the system as a blog during my second year as a nurse in 2018. As soon as I started working, I realized that I had an unconventional mindset as a nurse and that I brought a unique perspective to nursing. And so I wanted an outlet for thinking through themes that kept coming up for me at work, whether it was in my interactions with providers or patients or my nursing colleagues. And one thing that really stuck out to me was just conversations with colleagues about their personal struggle with role conflict as a bedside nurse. A lot of nurses I spoke with felt helpless in their role, wanting to make systems change, seeing how we were failing our patients. You know, I work in the ER, so we would have patients coming back again and again without getting the resources that they actually needed. So you just really quickly see in an ER frontline role how unsustainable our healthcare system is and how we're not really helping people in the way that they need to be helped. So my nursing colleagues expressed deep frustration about entering the nursing workforce with all this passion and empathy for the patient and feeling like they had nowhere for that energy to go in our current system. At the same time, they're saying the same things to me over and over again, but they're also expressing that they feel alone in this feeling. Like something's wrong with them because they feel this disconnect as a nurse and thinking that that means that they're bad nurses. And as a sociologist, I'll say I have an undergrad degree in sociology, so certainly not an official sociologist, but this theme kept coming up for me and I wanted to address it publicly in a way that other nurses could just not feel alone and maybe get some help in this area. So I personally did not feel the same level of role conflict, I think due to my background in systems thinking and sociology, and I knowingly chose to enter the healthcare system in order to heal it. So I saw an opportunity here to kind of match like my interest and skill set with the needs of my nursing colleagues. So I started a website, I started a blog, I started an Instagram account. And just slowly but surely, now, two years later, I have a modest following of about 4,000 nurses and other healthcare providers on Instagram. And we engage in daily discussions about systems thinking and healthcare. You know, systems thinking is not a particular like sexy subject. So it's a fun challenge for me as this like online educator to make it accessible to people and show the value in it. Because I really do think that systems thinking is in the hands of nurses is just, it gives us incredible capacity for change. So like I said earlier, recently I've launched as a small business. I'm legit now. (laughs) People had been requesting the opportunity to like 
do like one-on-one calls with me to get some systems thinking perspective injected into like their personal statements or projects or career plans. And so that's been really enjoyable for me just talking one-on-one with other nurses about systems thinking and how they can incorporate that into their own lives. I think that really what you're talking about too is even beyond nursing because although I'm not a physician either, I've heard from other physicians that you do come into the system wanting to help patients, but then you're in a system that maybe isn't really reflecting values or supporting the kind of work that you truly feel like you're called to do. So I can see how much of what you're saying really goes even beyond nurses and into doctors, NPs, PAs, whoever, because I think this is a a common hurt or an ache that folks are feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I have lots of healthcare providers who aren't nurses who engage in dialogue with me as well. I just focus particularly on nurses because of their unique role in the healthcare system is kind of between the patient and the rest of the care team acting as that advocate and facilitator of of the healthcare process. But you're absolutely right. I think systems thinking in the hands of anyone in the world is valuable, especially in healthcare. Yeah, and I think this is might be a controversial statement to our listeners, but I think in general, nursing has been a key part of the healthcare system, but a lot of the times we're left out of leadership and discussions about the system. So bringing nursing into it specifically, I think is a really, is really a strength because we're the largest workforce. And I think that we have a really good understanding of how the system works. We just need to be at the table. Yep, absolutely. I think in some ways we have a really good understanding of how the system works with like a very narrow perspective in terms of like the deliverables with the patient. But I do think we have a huge knowledge gap in terms of how nursing fits into the broader healthcare context. So that's also something I try to offer people Because if you're not quite sure where you fit, then it's really hard to know how to leverage your expertise and systems thinking perspective to make change. What kind of things specifically do you like? What are what is the content on your Instagram? Like, what are you talking about kind of more specifically? So I do a weekly Q&A in my Instagram stories where people have the opportunity to I don't know why people are so interested, but get my personal perspective on certain topics. And it's been interesting to see like what organically arises from the community. But I did one yesterday and topics that constantly come up are like nursing education and what like a reformation of that looks like. People ask, you know, what is systems thinking? Because I, I constantly re- introduce that to the audience because people are joining and no one really knows what that is. And I don't blame them because it's not taught to us anywhere. And I talk about how to position yourself as a nursing school candidate or when you're applying for graduate school, how to inject systems thinking into your application materials. On Instagram, I focus a lot on connecting like current events to systems thinking principles and helping people see how, especially with the pandemic and our leaders' response to it, how that fits into the broader understanding of systems. Yeah, we talk a lot about nursing education. I discuss at length the healthcare hierarchy. Why should nurses or other clinicians care about systems thinking? Because you can't effectively and sustainably solve problems without it. You will be putting band-aids on issues and thinking you fix things only to find out months to years later that you've done nothing 
of use or you've made the problem worse. And we see this all the time. I think if you're just starting out and realizing your capacity to be a change agent, systems thinking is where you start. So clinicians talk about our system's broken. We want change. We don't know where to start. We feel helpless, overwhelmed. There's so many problems. And learning where to focus your attention is where you start. And systems thinking is what helps you do that. Clinicians by nature need to be very zoomed in down to the lab value on what's going on with the patient. But there's rich data for clinicians at the systems level too. And a systems thinking perspective allows you to zoom in and out with finesse and elegance. Because when you're capable of seeing the big picture, you're able to see connections and hangups where you couldn't have before. So really, it's systems thinking is not just about administrators and leadership. It just provides clinicians with more useful data as well. And it helps you understand how your role fits into the bigger picture. You can't give me a single example where I would say, well, systems thinking doesn't matter there. Like it, if you're a grocery bagger, systems thinking is going to be useful to you. And I don't know about other curriculum, but as far as nursing curriculum goes, I don't really see a lot of this. Even when you get to like DNP level, primarily like the the DNPs who are going to be nurse practitioners. And a lot of the times, like when you're doing your DNP school or nursing, you're doing projects that are meant to help patient population or clinician population. And I see that a lot, like you're just focusing on that one issue and trying to drive the behavior changes, either of the patient or the clinician or both. And they're never really sustained. And it's almost like a waste of time and effort for everybody, which is really not a good consequence. (laughs) So you're having these really good ideas a lot of the time, but they're not going to work because they're you're only focusing on that one issue. And do you see like kind of that gap in nursing education? I'm assuming that's sometimes what you get into on your social media. Yeah, 100%. I think that's really insightful. Yes. I think anytime you're sitting down to solve any problem, you need to be asking what is the bigger social problem we're trying to solve? And that's actually easier to do than people think. Like, let's say we have, you know, chronic heart failure readmissions to the hospital. Every three weeks, Bob's coming in. His weight's gone up, hasn't been taking his Lasix, whatever it is. The bigger social problem is, okay, why isn't he taking his Lasix? Okay, well, he can't afford his medication. Okay, why can't he? Well, he lost his job. Okay, so now we're looking at the social problem of his health insurance was tied to his job and now he doesn't have health. He doesn't qualify for health insurance that's affordable for him. It doesn't take long to zoom out and and choose that problem to look at. And then in a nursing project, you don't have to solve his lack of health insurance. That's not something that, say, it's a bedside nurse doing this project. It's not something that you yourself are going to be able to solve for him. But at least it puts the problem in appropriate context so that the solutions that you're finding are grounded in Bob's reality. And I think that it doesn't take much time. It's an efficient way to help new clinicians or you know training clinicians just face reality and try to make decisions that are more appropriate for their patients. Well, Claire, and I think a lot of what you just said is really in quality improvement research, right? Is really understanding why, what is the root cause and really taking time to say, okay, but why? Okay, but why? 
okay, but why? Until you get to that, there is no more why. I think we've uncovered it. And so often as fixers, as nurses and doctors, we're fixers and we're like, well, I have a solution for that. And we jump faster to solutions than we do to understanding why is this really happening? Absolutely. So then how does systems thinking connect with creating better healthcare systems more broadly? So humans have made incredibly complex systems, including our healthcare system. And then these systems run outside of our control and unforeseen circumstances take over and we can't see a way out. And the system feels like an uncontrollable monster, but it isn't an uncontrollable monster. We made it. We built the dysfunction into our system structure, which is good news because we know we then have the ability to build it back out. But in order to do that, we have to have to understand how the system actually works. And so this needs to happen on a broader level than just your clinic or your hospital. The car is broken. We can't just study one gear. We have to zoom out and look at the entire machine. And as you zoom out, you find there really are no boundaries to the healthcare system. This is one of my (laughs) favorite tasks to give nurses is where does the healthcare system end? Planetary ecosystems, geopolitical trends, the global economy, all of these are affecting our healthcare system. You can't say only these entities are a part of the American healthcare system. It's so much broader than that. And while we can't include every single element in every level of analysis, we need to be aware of what levers are actually out there so that we can make decisions about which elements are appropriate to include in our problem-solving conversation. Problems in healthcare don't arise because evil people have the wrong perspective. It's that good people have too narrow of a perspective. So an example of this has happened to me in my clinical practice is I was ER charge nurse early on in the COVID-19 pandemic. So it was like March and we were just determining our workflow for dealing with patients who were under investigation for COVID. It was scary mess. (laughs) And A nurse came to me during the shift and said, I have a patient who has COVID-19 and he needs a nebulizer treatment. And a nebulizer treatment is um, a breathing treatment. It's like a, a medication that is delivered with oxygen into a mouthpiece and the patient breathes in the medication. And then as they breathe out, the nature of the treatment aerosolizes anything that could be in there in their exhale. So. It is very high risk treatment when you have a super infectious virus like COVID-19 on board. So the nurse was like, I need to do this treatment, but I'm not sure what the protocol is. So I instructed her to move the patient to an airborne precautions room. So airborne isolation room has negative airflow and would not allow any airborne particles to escape from the room, endangering other staff and patients. So we moved the patient into this other room. He got the treatment he needed and staff were made safe. And then he moved back to his original room in order to keep this airborne room open in case anyone else came in and needed a similar treatment. We moved on with our shift. And then a bit later, a supervisor came and challenged my decision to move that patient to a negative airflow room. And she, her reasoning was we, our stock of sanitation wipes is low and I'm concerned that if we move patients to multiple rooms, then we're doing double cleaning and we may run out of sanitation wipes. So I would 
ask that you not move patients when they're staying with us in the ER, just keep them in one room. And I said, well, okay, I appreciate that. But what if the patient needs to be moved because he has the need for like an airborne or an aerosolizing treatment? And she said, well, what are we going to do if we run out of sanitation wipes? And I looked at her and I said, what are we going to do if we run out of nurses? Like, I appreciate that the stock of sanitation wipes is limited, but so is our stock of living, breathing healthcare workers. It was a great illustration of a manager who has a resource sheet to balance and her own priorities. And then when confronted with the reality of the unknown and this complex system, her concern looked kind of silly. Though it was valid, it just was too narrow of a perspective. And so then she and I had a had a great conversation and, and we came to an agreement and realized we needed to develop a better process. But it was very eye-opening. This whole pandemic has been. <laughs> yes, for sure. That kind of brings me into this thought then too. Like you're having a question, your nurse manager, which I feel like I see a lot of that, like with nurses or anyone really, where you have this better idea or perspective, bigger perspective, but oftentimes people don't want to challenge leadership or supervisors. Do you have any thoughts about that? Like how to empower people to, to speak their mind a little bit more? Absolutely. I think the key to any kind of productive engagement with leadership is first develop a relationship. I am very intentional about visiting my manager's offices every week um, or almost every week and um, getting to know them. I think that foundation is critical for just having an understanding between both of you. I love my manager. I think we have a great relationship and that relationship allows us to have hard conversations. And I would say that she seeks my feedback maybe more than other people because I am intentional about going to her um, when I have ideas and she knows I'll tell her the truth. So I think not every supervisor is going to be equally as receptive. So that's certainly a hurdle. And I know that I am really privileged to have somebody who appreciates my feedback and is willing to hear it. But I think the way you warm up someone to hearing your perspective is to first form a relationship. And that's true with professors as well. People ask me, you know, my professor says problematic things. How do I tell them? How do I confront them? And the answer is, just be direct and respectful and, you know, establish yourself as like a friendly guide (laughs) and colleague rather than publicly embarrassing them or yelling at them or just complaining all the time. I would like to ask you about this term that you've used several times, change agents. I'm going to use that term a lot at my, at work and help nurses or find nurses who are good change agents. So What role can nurses and other clinicians have in being system change agents? I love this question because there is no right answer. I know that frustrates people. They're like, just tell me what to do. Tell me the path to take. And that is so dependent on your particular interests, skills, backgrounds, the workplace that you're in. So I I can't tell you exactly how you can be a change agent wherever you are, but I can tell you practices that can help you discover that for yourself and be the most effective change agent possible. 
One of the things I tell the nurses I work with is you have a responsibility to stay up to date on current events. That is critical. You also have a responsibility to understand the historical context that our world exists in and the present context and the political decisions that affect the clinical realities of our patients' uh, lives. So you need to constantly be learning and looking for more information to enrich your perspective as a clinician. That's just a non-negotiable if you want to be a successful change agent. I also encourage clinicians to take a look at the professional organizations that they belong to and ask themselves if their professional organization has a systems perspective. What are their top priorities? Who are they giving money to? What issues do they lobby for? And then ask, are these aims healthy to the progress of the system as a whole? So I I won't name specific organizations or professions, but there do exist professional organizations that clearly have a single-minded self-interest in what they throw money at and, and the kind of campaigns that they run. And that to me has no place in the healing of the healthcare system. So as a professional member of this kind of organization, you can either one, not give them money or two, challenge them on their aims. So I think that's a great way to be a change agent within your profession. Whenever I think of change agents, just like putting a shout out to Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, because he talks about kind of identifying what type of change maker you are. I think you might just have three, like the connector salesman and the maven, I think, or something like that. So if you haven't read that book, I recommend it because it it kind of lets you think about what might be your strength so that you can make change in a way that suits you and is natural to you. Yeah, that's great. And we discussed working with leadership, challenging them when necessary. I think that's a huge piece of being a change agent is just being willing to um, have hard conversations always being direct and respectful. And then committee work is great. Some people love that. Some people hate that. But if you do belong on a committee, a unit council, a board, ask the question, is every relevant group present at this meeting? Is anyone missing? What blind spots does their absence create in our problem-solving process? Patients are rarely invited to patient experience meetings, (laughs) which a systems thinker would not allow to have happen. So if you're on a committee for patient experience, then I recommend inviting a patient. So just things like that are great. And then I think if you want to be a change agent in healthcare and heal the healthcare system, one of your primary aims needs to be dismantling the healthcare hierarchy. Without a doubt, the healthcare hierarchy is one of the most harmful practices that we continue in healthcare. And We know from research that the hierarchical organizing of the healthcare team prevents communication between members and collaboration, and it breeds mistrust and animosity. And ultimately, it harms the patient because we're not being good team members and we're not talking to each other. So I got into nursing specifically for our position in the healthcare hierarchy. Hint, it's not at the top. (laughs) And Even so, despite my deliberate choice to get in the messy middle, I am still struck by the discrepancies in power and privilege that exist between health professionals. 
it's honestly really discouraging. My health system, for example, put out literature during the pandemic about teamwork. And it was a graphic that was literally a pyramid. And it had physicians at the top and nursing assistants at the bottom. What message does that send nursing assistants? And of course, nurses are in the middle. And then you have your quote unquote, mid-level providers below the physician. But it just, that is not how the healthcare team functions, like, or should not be how it functions. And so being a change agent means calling that out. Before that graphic goes to press, say, hey, let's think about the optics of this. If we're really a team, why are we displaying that as a pyramid? I have discussed at length my critique of the healthcare hierarchy model, and many people are displeased with my vocal critique. It's usually people at the top of the healthcare hierarchy. I mean, we can imagine which professions those include. And they they say I'm divisive for calling it out, which just really makes me chuckle because that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do. I think the hierarchy divides us and that's the whole point. That's harmful to patients because we aren't a team if we're divided. So I will continue to be a vocal critic of that model. I think you have said so many golden nuggets that I don't know what to go back to first. But the one thing that I want to acknowledge quick, and we don't have to have a a whole discussion about this because this is could really be its own discussion, is you had mentioned that at Part of your duty as a provider or nurse and being a change agent is being aware of historical context and and how did we get here. And I think that in itself is really a systems failure because it's not discussed in programs or it's not discussed how it needs to be. I mean, I know Stephanie's reading this and I just finished reading Medical Apartheid. And one thing that frustrated me so much was that here I am as a Ph.D., in sexual and reproductive health, and I had no idea about most of that book. And in some ways, I felt like, how can I be a researcher? How could I have gotten to this point and have not known about all of this historical and current stuff that's happening? And so in some ways, yeah, you're right. It is on the nurse and, and it's work I'm doing, but it also highlights another system's failure that that we're not including this to the degree to which it should be integrated into our learning systems. Absolutely. And we're crippling the future generation of healthcare providers by not giving them those tools and context. You're absolutely right. If you think about education, we all are educated very separately from PAs to nurses, to nurse practitioners, to physicians, to physical therapists, occupational therapists. We're all in different buildings most of the time. And then we're supposed to magically come together and know how to work together. And and then also like kind of what Nicole said, there is this historical perspective of nurses definitely being under physicians as far as it, there is a hierarchy still, but there was a deliberate hierarchy. And physicians probably don't learn about that anymore in medical school. But nurses sure know about it. Maybe not to this extreme extent, but we're kind of ignoring these historical issues and like the feelings and the perspectives that everybody has about that. Absolutely. I think it's such a mistake to have 
physicians and nurses go through their separate training and never touch on the fact that women were barred from joining medicine by white men and had to literally create their own profession to do the work that they were already doing in healthcare as community healers. Like that's kind of a big deal. And I think it's absurd that then we go through our separate training with this like huge monster of history looming behind us. And then it's like, yeah, and now you're partners in care and you can just ignore all the media messages that nurses are subordinate to physicians or failed doctors or whatever, and just be colleagues and be happy and get along great. It's just ridiculous. I mean, you can't watch a healthcare television show and see two nurses with names talk to each other. It's like the healthcare Bechdel test. There just aren't nurses in healthcare. We're just erased. We are all on the same soapbox here. <laughs> yes. Well, and you know, it's, it's to the provider's detriment as well, because it is then, you know, it's like, we're going to hold you to the standard of treating nurses really well and seeing them as equals, but like nothing about our world tells you that nurses are equal to physicians. So, and then it, nurses get offended or whoever about how that, some physicians are, you know, bullying or speaking down to nurses. And it's like, who taught them better? Yeah. Obviously, our podcast is all about communication. That's why we're here. So what do you feel is our current system communicating to clinicians and patients? And what should it be communicating? I think you can ask any patient trying to understand their medical bill that the system communicates just utter mysticism and confusion. I having been a patient in an ER recently, my medical bill made no sense. I received like six different bills. I didn't know what they were for. And I work in an ER. (laughs) That to me is unacceptable. And we have politicians talk about free markets and giving the American people choice when it comes to healthcare, but we don't really have choices. Um, And I, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but when you're really sick, having an emergency, you're not making an informed choice about where to seek care. And also your employer for most people determines what health insurance carrier you have. And then your insurance carrier tells you which providers and services you have access to. And that process is anything but transparent. So I think the message we're told by leaders in the industry and politicians is that you have choices and the system is to serve you. But we know as patients that just isn't the case. Clinicians, I think this kind of depends on what kind of clinician you are, what messages you receive from the system. I think providers are told a very different story than quote unquote ancillary staff. I think nurses certainly are told that we're not told this explicitly, but I think the system communicates to us that we are resources that can be exploited and just worked to the bone. So yeah, we're just resources over humans have to be used and abused. I think COVID certainly has shown us that our health systems aren't interested in or capable of protecting us with proper PPE. I think, and soon you see after becoming a clinician that our healthcare system is not designed to keep people healthy. So ultimately, I think we have this meta narrative of what our healthcare system is supposed to be doing that just fully conflicts with what's actually happening on the ground for clinicians and for patients. Well, and like you said, we had an interview. We were talking about COVID and pregnancy. Was that Dr. Via Vicencio or am I mixing? Yeah, no, that's right. Okay. And 
they were talking about how what COVID has really done is exposed that our safety net is not safe enough, especially for marginalized folks. And so COVID has really brought a lot of attention to how we're really not doing as well as we think we are. And that hopefully, we feel weird saying the word hopefully with the pandemic, but hopefully from this comes a systems redesign and a check on the healthcare system so that we can align. Again, I feel like as providers, we do come in with these great intentions. We are, we do want to help. We do want to heal, but we're in a system that doesn't foster that in the way that we want. It's almost creates like this moral injury, so to speak. And so hopefully that we can work to align values across the board so that there isn't this dissonance. Yeah, that's fabulous. We've, we've already talked about training and education for clinicians, but I, I did want to touch on it here because I think when we're asking what the system is communicating to clinicians, a lot of that upfront onboarding communication happens in their training. And I think there are critical questions we have to ask ourselves regarding the training that clinicians receive. And, you know, are we teaching patient-centered care outside of one module in one class? Are we weaving conversations about ethics into every discussion? Is the curriculum rooted in social justice? Because if those things aren't true, then we're communicating that they're not important to future clinicians. And I think that does everyone a disservice. Stephanie and I were recently in a presentation with Loretta Ross. So Loretta, if you're listening, we would totally love to have you on our podcast. But uh, they were made this point. It was kind of this very, at the end of the presentation in response to a question, and they had brought up how in what ways can we have education training systems that are really dehumanizing to the folks in those training systems and expect them to come out and treat folks humanely or in a patient-centered care when the very training structure itself is, again, dehumanizing? Oh, that's so good. I know. Both Stephanie and I, when we heard that, we were like, mind-blown, Well, and like, she just dropped it. Like it wasn't part of her conversation really. Yeah. And she just kind of said it out of the blue and we were like, wait, (laughs) a lot more. (laughs) Cause it is a good point. It's just like what you said, Claire is, are we really teaching patient centeredness, humanizing care? If during this process, you're made to feel less than human while you're training and, and in what way is that a central theme? Yeah. We, I don't think that we teach, we don't, necessarily treat students like humans and then we don't teach them that patients are humans either like we break them into systems and I think obviously I think nursing is a little bit better at that than other professions but it still needs a lot of work well and I think that's a lot of the disconnect for new nurses as well because we some of us come through really excellent programs that do focus on whole person care that's why we went into nursing and then you start working and it's like you have six patients and no time to care for them or meet their needs so good luck and it's just it just breaks your heart shift after shift after shift yeah so even if you're getting that training if you're then working in a health system that doesn't give you the opportunity to actually make that possible that is just devastating. Yeah. And I think that's probably true for everybody for the most part. And that's why we get burnt out or why we have issues with resiliency, which then again, impacts our patients negatively when we are crabby 
or mean or abusive or all the things that we can do. Well, and a quick tangent, speaking of resiliency, is there is a lot of pushback on resiliency. So when you think about resiliency from a systems level, here we are like, okay, if you do some self-care, that'll help you be resilient. And it's like, no, systems level would say, let's take out what makes you have to be resilient or why are we focusing on this? How do we eliminate this need for you to try and cope with something that you shouldn't really have to be coping with or dealing with? And like Stephanie said, you see the burnout people, providers, anybody seeing too many patients at one time. And that's a systems thing. I talk about system self-care in my blog work. And one of my favorite challenges to leadership um, and managers telling you to take time for self-care is to ask them, what are you doing to provide the system self-care? Like, how are you taking care (laughs) How are you taking care of this broader system? Why do I have to do all of this at the individual level? Yeah, I my I don't even remember what the meme said, but my good friend is a pharmacist in New York City, ICU pharmacist. So she was right in the middle of COVID in New York City and, you know, keep getting these mindfulness, self-care. And she's just like, that makes me more stressed <laughs> than not getting those things because now it's like adding to my plate on an art like my plate is overflowing and then you're telling me to do self-care so then I feel like I have to add that to my to-do list but I don't really have time to do it so then I have to feel guilty about not doing self-care either yeah like maybe the hospital needs to do some reflective journaling about their goals and whether or not their actions are in alignment with those goals I don't know it's just a thought Oh, I love that. Okay, so getting back to our preformed questions, if you could share anything with our listeners about system thinking, what would it be? That it's not inherently hard to do. It's simply learning how to focus your attention. Anyone can do it. You don't need a fancy degree. That's my whole thing. It just takes work and time and some discipline. And the only reason it's hard is because you're not used to it. So yeah, it's accessible. You can do this (laughs) and it can be fun. I think, like I said, systems thinking isn't sexy per se, but it doesn't belong in the ivory tower. It belongs in the hands of the people who are making daily on the ground decisions. So I think it's time for clinicians to reclaim that and not just leave it to theory academics. This tool is incredible and it's for you. It's made for you. So take control and use it and make the world a better place with it. Yeah, I love that. I know that you obviously have a lot of resources within nursing the system, and you can talk more about that if you'd like, but are there, where can folks go to learn more about system thinking or how to apply system thinking in their everyday practice? Yeah, this is a really good question. I think in the last five years, we've seen a lot more resources come out about systems thinking, but the best resource that I will stand by is the book Thinking in Systems by Danella Meadows. She is kind of the mother of systems thinking, at least in my eyes. And Thinking in Systems is her final book before her death, but it kind of summarizes her life's work. uh, And it's just a fantastic primer in systems thinking. It is very readable. It is a little bit dry. There are lots of diagrams and such. But I think if you are serious about committing to becoming a systems thinker, it's worth the read. Honestly, I would just Google systems thinking and see what comes up. 
There, I, I did that this morning when I was looking over these questions, and there are lots of fantastic resources, and they're industry specific. I haven't found anything specifically for healthcare. I, I still see myself as the only person doing that. I'd love to find a colleague out there who's also <laughs> just doing systems thinking in healthcare. But I found there's this online education platform that is. It looks very advanced, but it's called the Unschool, and it teaches different industry leaders how to think in systems, but it's like thousands of dollars over like a year. So that might be a little more investment than people want, but they did have some free resources on there that looked interesting. But yeah, you can always check out my work as I move further along in my DNP work. This is Nursing the System is my project. This is my focus. I'm only going to be generating more and more content. Long-term plan is to build a systems thinking course for healthcare providers. And I hope to have that done by in 2021. My content is healthcare industry centered. It, it does many of the tools I, I teach apply to any industry. And that's the beauty of systems thinking. And how can folks find you? You can find me on Instagram primarily, and that's at nursing.the.system. And then I'm also, I have a website, uh, nursingthesystem.com. Oh, and I'm on Twitter, at nursethesystem. Perfect. All right. So Claire, I would personally like to thank you so much for your time and commitment to advancing sexual and reproductive health through communication or systems thinking. Do you have any last thoughts you would like to add before we end? The final thing I'll say is that systems thinking is accessible to everyone. And it's very likely that you're already using some of the principles that systems thinking teaches you. I think it seems very abstract and heady, but in reality, it's it's just trying to show you the bigger picture. And that is incredibly valuable. So don't let the academic language and theoretical concepts scare you away. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Claire. Thank you all for having me. And as always, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. We are always looking for new supporters, sponsors, and guests. So if you'd like to be on our show or know someone who you think would be perfect, let us know. You can find more information on how to support us and contact us on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com. <laughs>